right. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the a live edition of the Stacking Growth podcast. My name is Matt Wilkes. I'm a director of Demand Gen here at Refine Labs, and I'm so excited to be involved in this episode here. Uh, we have got an awesome panel lined up for you today uh, to do some AMA style questions. Ask us literally anything. There is no question too hard, no question too difficult or too weird. We're taking it all today. So uh, wherever you're watching from, Zoom, YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, hop onto the chat, uh, add your questions into the comments. Uh, we're going to be taking them live. So um, just before we jump in and meet our talented panel, uh, I've got a little announcement. Um, our friends over at Spark Togo are gearing up for the Spark Together event on November 10th. Spark Together is their first ever story-focused marketing event. It's a day-long virtual summit that will not be recorded. So attending the event live is what you want to do. It's, it's your only chance to hear stories from people like Ross Simmons, April Dunford, Will Reynolds. There is a list of, of, of uh, amazing other people that are presenting. Uh, it's a six-hour webinar-style summit with a Netflix-type experience. No session longer than 30 minutes. 10 presenters, 10 presenters if I can talk today. Uh, moderated Q&A, live chat. If you've been to one of Spark Tour's office hours, then you're already familiar with the quality of the content that you can expect from Amanda and Rand. Really cool if you don't know this. This is the team that led their own fact-checking initiative on Twitter's bot counts. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, in fact, Amanda, even if, if you've been listening to the Stacking Growth podcast, uh, you would have heard her episode, hopefully, back in the beginning of September, uh, where she and our own Sydney Waterfall and Tori Kendlick were talking about zero-click content. If you haven't heard that episode, go add that to your playlist. It's an awesome one. Uh, at any rate, this is the quality of content that's going to be there, so you don't want to miss this. To register for their event, you want to go visit sparktoro.com slash spark together. That's sparktoro.com slash spark together. Okay, let's jump into this thing. I'm so excited about this. Um, let's introduce our panel. Um, Jonathan, why don't you kick us off, introduce yourself, and then hand it off? There. Sure thing. Thanks, Matt. Hey, everybody. I'm Jonathan. I'm a DDG here at Refine Labs, based out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Been here for about nine months. Uh, made a, a one appearance on the Stack and Growth podcast before, alongside Matt, which was a really great episode on uh, talking to VCs about demand gen. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to make my second appearance. Uh, looking forward to hearing all your questions. Um, so let's see, Bob, you want to go next? Certainly. Thanks, John. Um, like John, this is my second appearance, although I don't think the first one aired. It was a, a panel about uh, Google and all the other things automated uh, in the, the paid media industry. So uh, with that, I'm a, a PMM here with Refine Labs, employee number 100. I'll throw that in there. And uh, yeah, this should be a this should be a fun one. I mean, hey, like Jonathan said, there's there's no question that will go unanswered. The weirder, the better. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is uh, Matthew Schnella. I've been with Refined since March of this year. Some people may know me from DGL. I must be one of the DGL OGs. Um, but yeah, but, uh, just really excited to be here. This is my second stacking growth, but uh, I'm really excited. I love these formats. I love these fireside chats. Um, and so really excited for y'all's questions. Um, I love thinking on the fly and just uh, being on my feet when it comes to this kind of stuff. So really looking forward to getting some of these things delivered, hopefully giving you all some good feedback and helping you all with your strategies and tactics as you all end this year. And I can't believe this year is almost over. We have what, 60 yeah. left and, and kicking off 2023, which is shaping up to be a really interesting year for a lot of reasons. For sure. For sure. It is, uh, it is crazy that we are almost at the end of this year. Uh, and that, that seems to be what's on the mind of a lot of people looking at some of the questions that have come in. Um, so why don't we just jump into this? Let's, yeah, let's uh, take some questions. Um, I've got one here from Harshida, and I apologize if I've said your name wrong. Um, 
Harshita says, what should we be thinking about through budgeting for next year? How should it change from last or organic channel mixes, et cetera? I, you know, a little bit of a broad question about budgeting, but if, if you guys think about, think about the clients that you're working with, how are you currently thinking about budget allocation with them here? What, what types of changes are you talking about? Any, any, uh, changes in how you split it up between channels. What, what are your thoughts? Matthew, you want to kick us off there? Sure. Um, I was going to let Jonathan go first, but I'll go first. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm probably, I'm looking at it at a, at a program level more than a channel level. And I think that anyone uh, on here should be looking at it that way anyway. So with my clients, it's really looking at what things programmatically are you all doing and what all are you all getting out of it? You know, the first thing you need to determine is whether you have the the proper measurement systems in place to measure it at a program level, but you really got to look at it that way. I've had one such client who was, um, for instance, when we did an audit of, of their programs, they were spending something to the tune of a hundred grand a year on, uh, on, on, uh, on G2 PPC and were not, and hadn't got a single dollar revenue from it. And it's like looking at things on a program level like that and being able to, to look at what you all are putting money into and what you're getting out of it, either using the software attribution, or even if you're able to use the UTM strings to get that into your CRM. But really for me, it's looking at it at a program level, determining whether it's driving pipeline or revenue, or even high intent leads at the end of the day that are converting into pipeline and then pulling that budget back. So I think it's really looking at what's working for yourselves, doubling down on it, being ruthless with the things that are not working, especially things that aren't working that you've given a lot of time to. It's one thing to be having a program in place that's been that's been running for three or six months, and maybe it's not getting you pipeline or revenue yet, but you're seeing good signals and you have reasons qualitatively to keep it going. But if you've got programs you've been doing 18, 24 months, and you're just getting the same results out of it, those are the kinds of things you need to be looking at and saying, what are we doing here? We could be make we could be making so much better use of this money, I think, based on what we're getting out of this current spend. So look at it at a program level, assess how long you've been doing it for, and and then just be, be ruthless with the things that aren't working. You will see it not working in your CRM. And even more so though, you're going to feel it not working in your gut. And I think that's yeah. something that you got to trust. Definitely. Jonathan, you want to? Yeah, no, I mean, Matt, that was an awesome answer. I think the only thing that I would tag on is just the piece on measurement. So before you start getting into budgeting for next year, like take take a step back, make sure that you actually can measure what you think you're able to measure. Make sure that you understand your CRM data really innately um, and that you know exactly when you're pulling these reports to build some sort of budget plan that you know what all the different data means. So that sounds really like obvious and foundational, but I see so many people head into budgeting and be led astray because they don't exactly know how their CRM data is pulled, um, what the best way to access all the different information is that they need. So yeah, just I would tag that on as kind of a, a point of warning for people as you head into the budgeting process. Yeah, you know, it's a good good add-on too, because one thing we talk a lot about looking at as a hybrid attribution with software plus self-reported, I think, you know, our colleague Sam uh, Sam Coonley had a really good LinkedIn post a week ago where he talked about also adding the the sales sales insights on those those STR discovery calls as sort of like that tertiary tertiary layer of attribution, because people can always self-report something and then say something different on a call. And so, ultimately give yourself the measurement systems in place to look at it like holistically, almost think of it like you're triaging attribution in, at the end of the day, um, just, to, just to make sure you're getting a full picture of your programs and, w- and what are driving things. Because ultimately, there's not going to be one single source of truth here. You're going to be looking at multiple sources. It's just a matter of whether you can reliably look at those sources and have confidence in what you're, what you're looking at. Yeah. Another thing I'd say is like on the, the gut instinct point that you made, Matt, like trusting your gut on what new channels might make sense for you. So do your audience research spend time in those different channels and just like, don't be afraid if you think that something's going to work, maybe it's TikTok, then like commit to that. Right. So, and make sure that you set aside the experimental budget, whether it's for paid media or for content creation or new hires to be able to support that. So I do think like, while the measurement aspect and the historical performance is extremely important, you do, you're a marketer at the end of the day, you have gut instincts. So follow through on those. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Bob, anything you want to add in on that? 
I was going to say what Jonathan just finished with. Make sure you leave some budget <laughs> for that experimentation yeah. um, or new channels that you're going to test out. Um, because, yeah, that's the thing. There, there's always going to be something that comes up through the year. Or if it's like you're a company like, hey, we're going to finally start that podcast next year. All right. Well, what kind of budget do you have split out for that? And then how are you going to attack it? So if you, if you don't set that budget aside to begin with, then uh, you're fighting an uphill battle from the beginning. Yep. Harshita, I hope that question. Uh, if, if you have other questions about budgeting type topics, throw them in, we will get to them. Uh, got a next question here from Anita. Uh, Anita says, uh, if you're starting from zero, what's the recommended strategy for LinkedIn ads? Hmm. Starting from zero. What's starting from zero? Zero dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good question too. Let's assume there's a couple of dollars in the bank, at least uh, that they have to spend on the ad. So uh, I, I'm going to take it as starting from zero means they've, they've never used LinkedIn ads before. They, they want to get started with it. Uh, I feel like we should have Bob start this one. He's the, he's the, he's the performance sure. performance I mean, marketer extraordinary. Yeah, was, Go ahead, Bob, I'll hand it over to you. And I was going to say, Matt, yeah, I was, I was thinking the same thing. Like you got zero history. I mean, history is always good to guide you for future stuff or making optimizations and adjustments. I mean, I think, I mean, this ties into some other questions I saw from the, the preliminary ones. Like, I mean, if you're starting from scratch, you've never done it before. I mean, yeah, you really got to think about probably the one of the most important things to think about your audience, who you want to reach. Cause the audience creation is, is a big part um, of obviously how much you need to spend to reach that audience. Um, and then what kind of content should you create for that audience? So, I mean, that's going to dictate what kind of a content creator or design team you, you need to, to put these ads together, um, working with your sales and marketing team to, to create the content. I mean, do you have content on your website? I mean, are, are you creating a podcast that you're going to repurpose some of that stuff? So, um, really start with that audience. That's probably the biggest thing. Know how, how many people you've got to reach. From there, you can back up, you can get estimates on uh, what your cost per thousand impressions is going to be, how, how much it's going to be to reach that audience, and, and then put your ad campaigns together from there and start testing. Yeah, and that'll also give you an idea, like to take one step further back, is LinkedIn ads the right place to be? Like maybe there was a reason why it hasn't been done before. Um, so you'll find that out all during that like audience building phase, which I think that's totally right. The point that Bob made that that's the place to start. Um, so you might see in building out the audience that actually the potential isn't there or that it's gonna cost just like an exorbitant amount to reach who you wanna reach. So you have to narrow things down even further. Um, so that's the place to start. Yeah, so Nita, assuming, and I see you're on the, I see you're on here, which is awesome. Thank you so much for joining us live. Uh, assuming that you're coming from zero experience, I would actually, even before I started with the audience and all that stuff, I would just start with the conversions. Make sure you have conversion tracking set up for yourself properly, and make sure those. <laughs> I've seen a lot of companies that don't have conversion tracking set up, and they were missing stuff as a result. So yeah. make that simple for yourself. Um, you know, do it around high intent. If you're gonna do lead gen, make sure you have those conversions set up properly too. Um, but yes, yeah, start a conversion tracking, um, make that easy for yourself to echo what Jonathan and Bob are saying. Audience is so crucial. It really makes or breaks the campaign at the end of the day. Um, LinkedIn's new audience builder is just uh, really nice. So I'm going to give you a really tactical yeah. tip on how to get in there because I've been doing a lot of work out of that the past couple of weeks and really weeding out bad fit job titles and bad fit industries from the audience. And I got a couple of pro tips here that I've gotten from my LinkedIn rep too recently. So the first thing is when you get to your campaign manager, you can build an audience like straight from starting a campaign, but there's a little uh, on your left side menu, there's uh, right under your, your favicon logo, there's the first thing down is called plan. And then there's uh, audiences. So make sure you go to that on the, um, on that tab. And then you'll go to the audiences that you can build and you can go to saved audiences as the sort of one tab on the right. And then you can create an audience there. One thing you want to look at a lot is the audience summary that exists in LinkedIn. So when you build an audience, you should try to start with job titles, assuming you have an ICP that, that, that fits what you're going to be doing. Um, and that audience summary, like let that really guide it for you. So if you scroll down on the summary and it sees like what some of the attributes are and you go to view all, it's going to show you uh, functions. But if you scroll all the way down, you're going to see specific job titles. And so go down to that bottom pane on that menu and go look through. It's like 10 pages worth of data on the job titles that are going to show up in your audience and start looking for things that are really bad fits. LinkedIn's going to 
going to lump a bunch of job titles in there that don't fit what you're targeting. And you should be excluding those, in my opinion, rather uh, rather aggressively. There's a couple that'll show up like business strategy specialists. And I know this from speaking with the LinkedIn rep recently. That's a catch-all title from LinkedIn's algorithm. They basically group something like around 250 different distinct job titles into the business strategy specialist. So you may want to pull that out for yourself um, because it's going to be things like co-founder or like senior associate of business development or like all kinds of kind of titles like that. So decide whether those are right for you or not and see how that impacts your overall audience. Um, and then the other thing is you can see the companies also. So look through the companies, you'll get 10 pages worth of data on the companies that are going to show up and see if those are also the fits for the kind of companies your company wants to work with. And then weed those out. And I would do the same also for industries. So if you sell to uh, banking and wealth management and financial planning and stuff like that, but you're seeing stuff for like uh, automobile manufacturing or like heavy machinery or stuff like that, um, you know, it's because you have people who have multiple job titles in there who um, who haven't like updated maybe their, their profile. So you want to probably pull those out and make that decision for yourself. Those people are probably not that active on LinkedIn in the first place. So that's really not going to do much for you at the end of the day. And then the other thing is simply add inventory. So just make sure that you are, you know, I, I'd recommend using brand awareness as an objective. If you're going to do more of a create demand category halo style campaign where you're trying to just get content in the feed and have people consume it, and then you're relying on people to make it to your website, either through direct or branded organic, um, you'll be using brand awareness. It'll be cheaper inventory for you to get there. It'll make the most use of your budget. If you're going to do things where you're going to send people to like case study pages or stuff like that, you know, use, use website visits as a, as an objective there. So, you know, fit the content up to the objective and that, that makes the best use of your money. Um, and then, uh, and then video also, you can use video views or brand awareness in that instance. So I know I just said a lot there, <laughs> but hopefully that was useful. Um, and we'll, um, and we'll help you get on a good start overall. Really, really great stuff there. And if anybody else was furiously trying to take notes and uh, copy all of that down, don't worry. Episode will come out later so you can listen to that uh, multiple times. There is some really great information there. Um, Matthew actually shared a LinkedIn post about this exact thing last week or the week before, sometime recently. Find him on LinkedIn. It's in his uh, history, but really, really good stuff there. Yeah, I would um, say literally like every person on this call that's running LinkedIn ads, if you go after this call and check out that new audience builder, there's going to be something interesting that you find. Maybe it's something that you could exclude. Maybe you can mm-hmm. put some additional job titles or expanded firmographics in um, and see where that puts you. But like, I think that's kind of a, it's like a must have. Um, it's a newer tool, but it's been super, super useful in some recent audience, audience builds for us. And also... Yeah you know, evaluating your past audiences. Awesome. Uh, Another from Anita, this is uh, uh, different. We're going on a a different track here into the CRM. Um, She says in HubSpot, uh, HubSpot's being set up for the first time. Do you set up two pipelines, one for people who express some sort of engagements by reading and clicking in your email PDFs? And another one for people who booked the meeting as a stage one of the sales pipeline, or are these people entered into as an opportunity in the same pipeline? So I question is, is, do you have one pipeline where you throw all your contacts, all your opportunities, everything into everything, or do you separate it out into there's a pipeline for the actual sales opportunities. And then there's a pipeline over here for uh, the people who are, either just contacts or maybe maybe have shown some type of interest what 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 do you guys think yeah i think maybe there's some like nuance here with the term around pipeline because like i wouldn't set up two separate sales pipelines necessarily i would give myself the ability to track um which opportunities have come from which contacts and what those conversion points and pipeline sources were so then you're heading towards more of like a split the funnel analysis. And of course we would recommend that like you want to be able to tell performance of your high intent inquiries that are coming in versus anything that you've done through other like lower intent sources, uh, webinars, gated content, et cetera. 
Um, so you do want to make sure to be able to like track that through from the contact object to the opportunity object, but I wouldn't necessarily set up two separate like sales pipelines within HubSpot to reflect that. Um, hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, I wouldn't, I would, I would echo what Jonathan's saying. I wouldn't have two different pipelines either. Um, what you could do, I've seen, I've seen people do this. It's pretty common, but you could set a couple of stages prior to what like a, a sales stage would be for those high intent leads. It's like a parking lot stage or a stage zero. Um, and then that can be for the, the high intent submissions before they get qualified and then they can move into a stage one. I think one thing to look at is to make sure you're date stamping every single one of these stages in your pipeline. So when they move to a stage, it's time stamped, and then you can see what the progression looks like from a from, from a cycle standpoint. Um, but that, in my opinion, my, I always defer to like simplify it as much as you possibly can. And in my opinion, mm-hmm. having two different pipelines running parallel in your HubSpot is just inviting a lot of complexity that you your your team probably cannot manage. Yeah, that's a good point. Like maybe it's. The, the pipeline really means like lead status. So yeah. it's like before something becomes an opportunity, what are the lead statuses? And then once it reaches a stage one op, where does it go from there? Yep. Bob, anything you want to add, add on to that one? Yeah, just echo what everybody else said. I mean, that's definitely <laughs> to that, well, to, to match yeah. one, like somebody that fills out the demo request form on your website. I mean, they're a lot more high intent than somebody that signed up for your uh, email newsletter. So you don't need to separate them out. I mean, they're all going to be in your CRM, but um, if you got that parking lot for the high intent form, like, yeah, you can treat them differently. They'll probably move through into your pipeline a lot faster anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say like in that, in that regard, like help yourself out using the, using the lead statuses, like, you know, use actually the subscriber versus lead versus marketing qualified lead, use it correctly. Um, If you want to make high intent marketing qualified lead before it gets qualified by sales and moves to SQL or opportunity, that's a good route to go. People who are doing content downloads or signing up for your webinars, keep that at lead until they get scored or until they make a high intent submissions. And, you know, people who are in your, your newsletter or your email subscription, keep them at the subscriber level. So use those, use those lead status levels uh, appropriately. And then also, if you want to even further do that for yourself so you can measure it, I mean, just separate high intent versus low intent for all your leads coming in. I mean, I just have one client that does that. Anyone that comes in from demo or contact us asking to talk to sales gets immediately put the high intent as long as it firmographically fits. And then almost everyone else that comes in with the content download or webinar registration just sits at low intent until it moves into high intent. And then, you know, sales doesn't even bother at that point. Yeah. Awesome. The the only thing that I would add is if you're from, if you're, if you have an SDR team and your SDRs are going to be responsible for nurturing some of these contacts and developing them, developing the relationship with them, um, you want to make sure that they have the ability to set a state status with those contacts that reflects where they are in this in the pipeline, I guess, of building that relationship. So it it's not a pipeline. It's maybe more of a report. But as you're as you're building out your uh, your stages, th- think about that for your SDRs, so they have uh, an ability to keep track of where the people are who they're talking to. Um, okay, let's let's go to the next question. We've got one from Nicholas Manzini. Uh, he says, how would the speakers manage to create demand and service niches, niches or niches? Maybe that's the next question we'll handle is, <laughs> is it niche niches. or niche? Uh, how, how would you manage to create demand and service niches where competition is really high? So, but broad question, but if you think about, uh, an, an area, lots of competition, uh, lots of competitors, if you're thinking about, if you're approaching creating a new demand gen strategy, what are some of the things that you guys just top of your mind, some of the things that, that you start thinking about? But I mean, if I were to think just right off the top of the head about it, like how do you, I mean, if it's crowded, how do you differentiate yourself? Yeah, that's, that's where my head goes is, uh, is differentiation right off the bat is what is different about my company, my my product, what's different about our team? What are those things that I can stand on um, that I can talk Once about you start differently? you looking at all the competition, you see a lot of similarities, especially. Oh, oh 
we're losing Bob there for a second. Oh, we're losing you, man. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I, I can chime in real quick here. I actually worked for, and I, I don't know what service uh, this person is in, so I can't can't speak to that specifically. I can say that I mean I worked for an agency previous to working at Refine, where you know we, we were. I mean we were at a time like kind of a kind of a dime a dozen service. We were a marketing agency. And one of the things that we did that was really smart was we, you know, when you're in a when you're in a, a niche industry, you have to just niche further down. I use niche, not niche. Um, so like we were a marketing agency. That's you know that's pretty you know that's a pretty pretty dime a dozen agency. And we niched down and we only worked with companies in manufacturing or industrial. And so we oriented our entire content strategy around that. Really deeply understood those specific pain points uh, regarding guarding industrial. A couple of things that we knew, for instance, like none of them use CRMs, so we had to do a lot of coaching and make a lot of con- a lot of content around why CRMs are vital as a business tool. A lot about creating content and how to distribute it for 2022 or 2021. But really, it comes down to just niching down and, and then building your entire go-to-market around that. Um, you know, it's, it's an organizational sort of decision to make, but I think ultimately you need to like before you can even have a unique POV and you actually need to have sort of a unique focus. And I think a unique focus is kind of where you niche down and actually create that for yourself. Yeah. I'd say you could talk about like the you know, positioning topic for hours. That could be several different uh, um, sessions live, but um, if you want to refer back to like a really good resource on that, um, there's a talk with uh, Chris Walker and April Dunford. Uh, Matt mentioned April during the um, intro to this, where they talk about, um, like establishing your unique uh, your unique uh, point of view and looking at competitive alternatives, your unique attributes, um, you know what value pr- you provide. So I would just refer you all back to that um, as a really good resource. Definitely great content there. We'll go ahead and uh, move on to the next question. We've got a couple here from Michael Henderson. Um, Michael says, where do you find inspiration for ad copy and creative? working with a client that has no existing demand. So this, this would be a client where uh, they are creating the category from scratch, never existed before. Where do you get inspiration for ad copy and creative? How do you guys think about this? How, how do you, how do you think about where do you, where do you begin with messaging? I don't, I don't know that it would differ um, based on whether the client has existing demand or not. Um, I mean, in terms of like where to look for inspiration, um, you know, we're lucky at Refine Labs that we get tons of different uh, campaigns out the door constantly that are always inspiring us. But I mean, just keep your eyes peeled in your feeds. I mean, make uh, what I like to do is just grab screenshots of things that I find compelling. Keep like a running list of those over time because um, it's easy to forget things that you've liked. Um, so just in terms of like general creative inspiration, I think just like make sure you're documenting things, um, in terms of like messaging points of what's working, like make sure that you're digging into whatever, uh, demand that you do have captured within your CRM, talk to your sales team, um, try to elevate some of those pain points that have been particularly, um, relevant in closed one deals. Um, there's so many different ways that you can kind of find inspiration for your overall like messaging that you want to bring into your ad copy. Um, just some like initial, initial starts. So keep your eyes peeled, yeah. look into CRM, talk to sales. Yeah. I think in this instance, you got to be, I mean, and I don't really distinguish if you're, if you have zero demand between ad copy and just messaging at large, cause like to me, they're kind of one and the same. You may not even need necessarily ad copy uh, at this instance. I would, I would get as scrappy as I can do a lot of hand-to-hand combat, uh, combat, like people who are active customers. Like, what do you think of, what do you think of us when you, when you think of company X, like just get an idea of how your customers think of you. Um, that helps certainly position and message you all a little bit, or also look at that vis-a-vis the idea of what you all want to be and, and ask yourself like, all right, are we actually like projecting the kind of messaging and POV that are that we're trying to message out to our customers and the way our customers think about us. You got to use basically all the tools at your disposal. But I think to me, it's just understanding what you all want to be as a company, what category you want to create, what demand you want to create, how you want people to think of you, and then just you know trust and verify whether your customers think of you that way. And if not, you know if there's a mismatch in in your positioning versus who your current customers are and it's something you're going to have to actively shore up it's a fun project um it's, it sounds like something where you'll be doing just a, a lot of stuff like that in order to figure out what and dial that in and look at it as a continuum 
You know, I mean, it's something that you're going to see shift over time. Like what you all are, what you all are using as your primary messaging in the first 60 days probably won't be what you all use in the next 60 days. And it's going to be a continuous iteration. So don't get married to a, to a certain um, positioning on, on ad copy or any kind of messaging, especially when you're that early and you have no demand, it's, you gotta, you're going to have to just understand and, and just, um, and just accept the fact that you'll need to be flexible with that a little bit as you, as your company matures. Yeah, and the other thing it's like, I mean, are you, is it even the right time to even take that position? I mean, if you're that early, aren't you better off kind of playing in an existing category or, or, or playing in a place where demand exists and then spinning it off once you build your company to a certain point? I don't know. I mean, that may be a, uh, an easier way to get to a certain valuation before you can actually try to try to create demand or, or create a category for yourself. Bob, did you want to add on to that? I can try. Hopefully the internet is stable <laughs> enough for a little bit, but I mean, yeah, I think to Matt's point, like hopefully if you've got some customers, you've got a CRM you can rely on, you've got a win loss analysis. That's going to tell you how your actual customers view you. Um, I think that's certainly important. That's going to guide your messaging and your ad copy or just messaging period. Um, I know the win loss analysis can be used for a lot of other things as well. Um, I had that written down for some of the other questions, but it's like, that's one thing that, that shows you like, are you actually in, are you actually creating a new category or do your customers view you a specific way? Why do they use you? So, I mean, that can, that can give you insight to, again, to Matt's point too, like, are you, are you playing in a big sandbox and you're trying to break out or, I mean, do you actually have, are you breaking out? And that's what your customers feel as well. I was talking to somebody on our uh, creative team here at Refine Labs uh, a week or two ago about this exact topic and was asking uh, where, where does she get her inspiration from? And, and she didn't talk about things that are in the market necessarily. I mean, you might look at competitors, you might look at that stuff, but inspiration was coming from all over the place. Don't be afraid to go to B2C companies and, and look at what they're doing. And, you know, you can find inspiration in all kinds of things. What, what if you're building a new category, if you're existing in a category, do something different, be, be different. If you're saying the same thing as everybody else, if you look the same as everybody else, it makes it really difficult for a buyer to uh, figure out why they should buy from anybody, uh, much less you alone. Um, okay, so different question. This is uh, related more towards uh, career progression and marketing. Uh, Michael says, have any of you made the from performance marketing to demand generation? If so, are there any resources you could share that helped with that transition? And what skills from your performance marketing experience shined through on the demand gen side? Bob, I hope your signal's working for this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, follow Refine Labs. That's <laughs> I mean, that's probably the biggest resource. I mean, I yeah, I mean, I've been in performance marketing, doing Google Ads and, and other paid media, and played on the the lead hamster wheel forever. But yeah, by shifting to demand gen, you really, I mean, it's its a mindset shift and it can be hard when you're trying to convince other people to do it. But from, from a from a performance marketer perspective, I mean, yeah, you, you got to have that buy-in and know that like, yeah, that gated content and those those MQLs, they're not turning into leads. So if you have the data behind it, I mean, yeah, I love, love looking into the data. And if you can say, hey, yeah, we generate a thousand leads. How many sales did those actually turn into? And I mean, if if you can prove the case that it's not that juice ain't worth the squeeze, or it's like, hey, you've got this gated demo video on your website. Three thousand people went to that page, but we got ten people to fill out the form and actually watch a two minute demo video. Is it worth it to try to gate that for those ten people, those ten emails, or should we just let all three thousand people view that video? So um, the mind shift is. Uh, we lost him there, but uh, he, he was, he was uh, on he was a roll with right yeah. where, <laughs> right where I would have gone. The mind shift, you, you, yeah. you definitely have to take a different mindset on, on, on how you're viewing the activities. Yeah, Guys, you want to add? Go ahead, John. I was going to say like, this isn't necessarily a resource, but what helped me and like what I feel like was a turning point in my you know journey from doing performance marketing to more uh, demand gen was being able to like be an active participant and lead uh, like a CRM implementation. So like setting up a HubSpot instance, figuring out how that data flows to Salesforce. And then you naturally get involved with um, the sales team. You get involved with customer success and all the different parts of an organization that rely on that like marketing automation to um, CRM uh, link and that technology. So 
if you can join an organization that's small enough where that's still in kind of like the foundational stages, you can be a part of building that out. You get to see really like how pipelines work, what's the right data to look at, um, what the different stakeholders within the organization care about. Because like at the end of the day, demand generation is not just like a marketing activity. It touches all the different parts of like the go-to market organization. Um, so I think it's really, that's an awesome thing to get in experience with. And if you can do it at a place where it's small enough that you can talk to the heads of sales and CS and pre-sales, um, then even more beneficial. So um, yeah, I started out with like paid search and was like really, really tactical and then, you know, switched to a smaller startup. And that's really where I built that kind of skill set out from a, just from a career development standpoint. Yeah, I'll, I'll add, I, I did not come for performance marketing into demand. I was probably more of a content marketer, actually, before I went into demand, which, um, which I think, uh, I think is an interesting progression in and of itself, because you understand what you actually need to deliver, like with ads and with programs and stuff like that. But to echo a little bit on John's, I think every performance marketer, if you do well in performance marketing, if you know how to navigate around Google search, Google ads or analytics or anything like that, you have all the raw skills already needed to honestly be a demand gen, uh, demand gen manager, demand gen director, because you understand reporting and database management uh, in a lot of ways. So for a performance marketer trying to push into demand gen, you're almost taking that like 3000 foot view and you need to like elevate yourself to that 20,000 foot view, right? So you need to look at it at a higher level and how your activities are impacting the greater business. But to echo your point, Jonathan, it's understanding how to work in a, in a CRM, whether that's HubSpot or Salesforce, understanding reporting and dashboard builds, but then also having an understanding of content and how content performs in certain sort of instances and understanding how to double down on what's working and, and understand what's not. But I think performance marketers have all the raw school uh, skills and tool set to be a demand gen director in almost any use case or instance. It's just a really a matter of mindset and then getting yourself out of being overly tactical and thinking more strategically about things. That was a shift for me career-wise that took maybe about two years to fully sort of understand getting out of being so tactical and getting more strategic overall. But um, but yeah, you have if you're a performance marketer trying to get into demand gen, you have everything in your toolbox to do it already. You just got to find the right environment to go learn and fail a little bit and 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 uh, and iterate and and skill up. Totally, great advice. Um, we have got a handful of people that are willing to come on and ask their question. So um, yeah. let's see. We've got Connor Arvin. If you're still with us, you want to uh, unmute yourself and ask your question. Yeah. Um, sorry, my video is not working, but um, no I was curious, how would you convert the revenue R&D model that Chris talks about to B2C? Like I'm a B2C marketer. I've followed and implemented all your stuff like the self-reported attribution, hybrid attribution, and just, I love it all. Um, but just curious how you would scale that or if you can scale it down to something like a $200 ACV instead of 40K, if that makes sense. Any Anybody want to jump in a question? Are you, Connor, are you mostly asking about like the different exit criteria? I think I think just to say like the the stages of the framework should still fit regardless. Yeah. I, I don't think that there is too much of a difference between B2B and B2C. I guess the difference would be like you're pointing to like the, just the volume and the average sales size. So you might need to adjust some of those like exit criteria from stage to stage. Um, but I think that's t a totally valid way of going about it. Um, with certain experiments that we started to run within the framework, it's not like you always have to stick to X number of high intent conversions or X uh, you know dollar amount in ACV. Um, hopefully, I'm not stepping on anything that that Chris would disagree with, but I think I think he would I think he would echo that. Yeah, yeah. So something because I know like yeah, is mainly about the exit criteria where he talks about 500k in pipeline. Oh, and yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. two thousand deals if you're selling something at two hundred and fifty dollars. Like, would does that scale down? Yeah, Would you guys look at it to like, maybe you only do a hundred because we're getting so much more traffic than yeah. B2B. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, 
Yeah, it has to be. It has to be a sliding scale that's contextual to your business. It's like the that starting exit criteria that exists for revenue R and D right now is largely just a starting framework that we even understand internally. We'll be iterating on and applying on a case by case basis with our own clients. Um, so I, you have to look at it in context to your business and determine what is an appropriate exit criteria to go from stage one to two to three to four to five, based on what my ACV is, what sales I'm doing. I'm assuming you're doing a lot of ads uh, and B2Cs, uh, probably a lot of Facebook, probably a lot of um, maybe some TikTok, Instagram, stuff like that. But um, but yeah, it's it's a sliding scale. Like You need to just look at it on a program level and then set a proper expectation around it for yourself. And then just stick to that criteria, honestly. Like don't, don't edit it, don't edit it to fit a, a new program in necessarily. So if you're doing Facebook ads and it's already at operational, uh, it's already operationalized at stage five, um, don't don't slide that scale to accommodate something like TikTok if it's not, let's say, working quite as well, you know? Okay. No, that really helps, especially looking back at things that we know are working like Facebook. And yeah. seeing how it compares to a TikTok or Instagram. So yeah. So I mean, if, if you already have something that's operationalized, I mean, that you should just you should just reverse engineer the exit criteria from there. So if you have it at exit, if you have it at stage five, really stage five is simply stage four, but with process behind it where it's super repeatable. So you can almost look at it as almost stage four-ish, but just reverse engineer the stages from that from that point. And that's going to tell you very clearly what stage one should look like. Yeah. Cool. That's great. Thank you. Yep. Awesome. Thanks, Connor. Appreciate it. Uh, Let's see. Next up, we have Alexander Hudzik. Alexander, you with us still? Yeah. How's it going? All right. Okay. So I'm uh, I'm in sales development. I've been leading teams for for eight or ten years, and I've been listening to Chris Walker's content for 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 years. It it very much resonates. Um, I've sat under marketing many times. Um, at different companies. And so sort of my question now, and I'm at a bigger company now, where we agree that there's programs that generate MQLs that are um, not converting through the funnel. And so we literally have millions of dollars that we can shut those programs off um, that I'm uh, uh, advocating for, but sort of struggling with how would you recommend we think about figuring out what are the marketing programs that will generate those sort of, you know, what he calls those high intent, you know, contact sales requests um, to the website. Because obviously, I agree that the way software attribution um, uh, <laughs> me, uh, is measuring how we're getting those is, is not actually what marketing needs to do to generate those. Um, and I've been listening recently, he's been really big on the um, self reported attribution. So I imagine that's part a big part of the answer. Um, and I get that. I was hoping if there was anything else that we should be looking at to try to figure out what are the what are the types of marketing things that are working such that we get the right high qualified people in our you know, sweet spot persona that are interested in, and want to talk to sales. Awesome question. Um, so for myself, I'll I'll well, I'll give uh, a short answer and then I'll kick it off to our panel here. So one of the things that we do with um, with every new client that comes on board with us, uh, uh, one of the very first activities is we get into the CRM and we do an exercise that we call split the funnel. Um, we go into, and essentially you start down at the bottom with what has, what's been won, what's turned into revenue. And then you follow that all the way back up the pipeline to what, what are the drivers of actual revenue, not not what are the drivers necessarily of the MQLs at the top, but what are the things that are driving revenue? And you'll notice some things really quickly. Uh, Chris Walker talks about this all the time. The lead gen activities, ebook downloads that can bring in tons and tons of MQLs. A lot of the times you're going to find out that that's a lot of wasted money, that it's, it's not generating uh, revenue most of the time. Um, so you're going to find those types of uh, you're going to find those types of activities by doing this type of split the funnel exercise. That's typically where we start, and then we start having conversations kind of off the tree branches of that. Of okay, what's behind this? If there is no self-reported attribution, a, uh, a how did you hear about us type field on your signup form, then there may be a lot of questions about what is actually driving that. 
and then you've got some homework to do from there to start digging into it. Guys, what, what would you, what would you add to that? Or, or what would you disagree? So, so agree, with? agree with all those things. So where, where would I start to dig into that, to go figure that out? Uh, so for us, it, it's all in, it's in the CRM. So we're going to go into the CRM and we're going to start pulling reports on revenue. Um, so is that what you mean? Like where? Yeah, I guess I, I would ask uh, Alexander, like, how are you determining the like programs that are inefficient right now? Like, what are you looking at to, to tell you that? And is there not a way to do the same kind of analysis to show what is working or is it just that there simply is nothing that's working right now or? Well, so, I mean, we don't, proportionally, you get very, you get a very small number of those really high intent ones. And it looks like those things are, you know, direct organic or SEO or whatever. Um, but like, obviously just throwing a bunch of money at that is not going to solve the problem. So I guess the answer is, you know, uh, ask that question on the form and then start to go figure that out. Um, if any, but if there's a different answer to go figure out um, how to get more of those types of leads um, or how to, how to start to investigate where to go figure that out. What do you do feel like, uh, go ahead. Uh, what are some of the things y'all are doing programmatically right now to, to try to try to drive those kind of kind of um, conversions? Well, a lot of, I mean, all like everything, all the typical, you know, B2B tech uh, uh, programs, content syndication, webinars, events, everything. Um, but, uh, but a lot of those programs kind of are aimed at optimizing for the MQL. So, mm-hmm. so we have some obvious things that we can turn off, but we don't, can't figure out the obvious thing to go to go double down on um and maybe that's just is the billion dollar question and and if we could figure that out then we would all um you know get promoted and our companies would all be extremely successful so maybe there is no like methodology to go figure that out besides the the self-reported attribution is is a smart way to investigate it i didn't know if anyone had any other um ideas are you guys keeping notes from like uh, when you guys do discovery calls, sales teams asking how, how they heard about you guys too? You're getting like that tertiary level for yourself as well? Certainly not in like a clean way that we can report on it. So that would be another good way to start too. Yeah, that may I mean, give you a little bit more insight into like other ways people are finding out about you and give you a sense of like, okay, we can, we can, we should explore or investigate these programs if we're not doing it, or we could put more dollars towards that. I think some of it is just talking and just talking to your customers. Like, I mean, are, are you, do you have a good feedback loop to talking to cut, talking to customers and asking like, how do you find out about products or solutions or how do you do your research? Um, just in a, in a sense, you have to kind of maybe get your hands dirty a little bit. You may be already be doing that, but just just things like that to kind of surface some some new channels for yourselves that you can you can run programs to. Yeah, that's a great call. We're we're not doing a great job of that. Yeah, so I I would say to emphasize that for yourself. Emphasize talking to customers like like total non sales environment, non sales setting, no upsell, no cross sell, no bullshit like that. You know, like hey, I just want to learn about my ICP. Um, and just want to learn about what, what, how my customers are discovering products and how they're doing research and, you know, try to get eight, eight to 10 of those, uh, for, for yourselves. And that'll give you a good hypothesis for ways that maybe some, some new programs or some new channels that you can look at that you haven't already. And then you kind of said it a little bit where you guys are optimizing a lot for MQLs. And I would say some of the programs you're optimizing for MQLs, take some, pull that, pull some of that back to optimize for high intent and see if you see a lift from, from those programs. I don't know if you can take some of that, pull some of that budget away and say, Hey, I want to take 25% of that budget where we're optimizing for just a direct response conversion or, or an MQL. And I want to try to take a different approach to it in terms of how we deliver and how we message and see if we can do self-pro-attribution and see if we see a lift from that channel as a result. Cool. Thank you. A lot of good ideas. Awesome. Thank you so much for the question, Alexander. Uh, let's see. Still got some time. Uh, we've got Julie Runez. Is Julie with us? I am. All Hi, right. Um, our company actually sounds like Matt, it would fit into your previous company's, um, niche. We are a small to medium, um, industrial company. We design and build original manufacturing equipment. Ooh, um, 
I'm excited for this question. <laughs> so since this is a company that started as a one man, one project at a time company, and now is a multi-million dollar annually um, with 15 full-time employees, um, there's been sort of some difficulty in convincing leadership, which actually boils down to one person, um, that it's really important that we have a CRM that sort of tracks all of these things that um, should be reportable. And, um, you know, they don't really see the value in setting um, really specific targets and goals. Um, you know, I sat down the other day and to have a, a, a meeting about our marketing direction for 2023. And I asked what the you know main goals for 2023 were, and they had nothing to do with marketing. The answer was we want to be on time or ahead of time for all of our in-house projects. And that was really like the entire you know answer that I got. So um, you know, is it worth in, in that situation sort of making that case for really pushing CRM and targets? Or is it, you know, are we are we not there yet? Do they want to grow their revenue in the first? Yes. I mean, they do. Okay. Do they have an ERP system? No. So they don't have an ERP system to help figure out when things will go out on time either? What are they using, Excel? Um, well, I guess we are sort of tangentially using um, Microsoft Project, but not really to its fullest extent. So right now, yes, our entire production schedule is in Microsoft Excel. Okay. So this company sounds pretty immature and in process in the way they want to do things. I mean, even the the manufacturing component and the lead time around assembling and shipping the product is pretty immature. So you probably would have an easier time convincing them to get an ERP system before getting a CRM, but I'll I'll make the case for CRM right now for you. Look, I mean, I worked at a company where, you know, we we had a really immature Salesforce instance and I was fortunate enough to work with the sales director who understood the value of CRM and pushed it really hard. Your best friend in getting a CRM system at your company is going to be your sales leader. So uh, if you don't have a sales leader, oh we, no. We don't, yeah, we don't have a sales department because everything that we do okay. is project-based. It's very, very custom. And so we're not okay. really selling products. How are people coming inbound to buy your products? Or how are people buying your product in the first place? So right now um, we have a business development um, leader who, okay. um, you know, she and I sort of are are um, narrowing down our target market and we're really trying to start creating content. Really before I started with the company, it was just her alone and her CRM was also an Excel file. Okay. That she was, you know, going out and finding companies we'd love to work with and then finding her, you know, their um, ideal customers within that company and tr- sort of cold reaching out to them. And we really tried to change that entirely and just sort of switch it around to putting content out that would attract that mark that you know audience rather than sure trying to pick them how many contacts do you all have it can't be that many right um right now we've got about 700 okay so look i would i would go with your business development leader and just make the case i mean say hey i want to use part of my budget to get as low rent a crm as possible whether that's like hubspot starter or freshworks for yourself or something like that but ultimately, the case for it is like, look, this is a business tool. How are we going to assess the health of our company qu- quarter by quarter and, and frankly, year by year if we don't have good data in here where we could do appropriate forecasting, where we can look at our historical win rates, where we can even look at who our best fit customers are based on who we're selling to and how you know how much money they make for us. So you have to look. So, I mean, I would reframe it just as a business tool and a way for the company to get visibility across all sales and business activity that happens as it pertains to creating revenue for the company and helping you all get more projects to be on time for in the first place. Um, So I I think you need to have a united front with your biz dev leader. Um, You all need to come to, to them with a solution already in mind, a cost already in mind, how it will fit within your budget already in mind. Um, and how you all will utilize it in the first year already in mind. Um, and if he still says, if he or she still says, no, you probably aren't going to get it. And I would consider looking elsewhere <laughs> as a company uh, in the in the next 12 months or so. But that's just, that's just my honest answer. I've run into people who do not believe in CRMs. I think it's unfathomable in 2022, but those people still exist. Those people will end up not winning in the long run.
but that's that that's the that's the tack that I would take. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Julie. Okay, couple of quick minutes left. We've got. Uh, we'll we'll bring on one. See if we can uh, see if we can tack, tackle this one real quick. Obai Durrani. I'm so hey. sorry if I missed oh, hey. your name. How's it going? This? It's oh, no, it's all good. What's up, guys? How's how how are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing Didn't great. Me. Cool, cool. So just, just just some real context, some quick context before I ask my question. Um, I'm the first and only marketer at a new SaaS company. Our average deal size is like 15K and our buyers are SaaS AEs. And there's also no demand that exists for our category. Um, so there are things that I'm doing that could lead to like us getting new users right now in the short term, like cold outbound and stuff. But I'm also planting the seeds for a demand creation engine, but there are things that I'm doing before I could get that going, like message testing, nailing our positioning and updating our homepage to reflect all those results. I've also got video content going from my CEO's LinkedIn profile and a podcast that I started with him to talk to other sales leaders. And I'm like working my way up to in-feed LinkedIn ads. So what I want to ask you guys is what are some things that I need to be mindful of as I build this system out? And what do you guys think is a good path for me to follow if I want to recreate a demand creation engine like similar to Refines or something that you guys would do for one of your clients? Um, first thing that came to mind as you're running through all the different stuff that you're working on, and maybe I, I missed this, but it was really around like the inbound buying experience. So like making sure that that's just super frictionless for people who do actually come to the site and are interested. Um, so like, you know, the upfront forms and what the process looks like for actually booking a demo through to like what the first, um, you know, demo actually looks like and making sure that that is as smooth as possible. It sounds like you're doing a lot of like good work on the demand creation front. Um, but you want to make sure that you don't have that leaky bucket that you're driving folks into. So just the uh, first thing that came to mind as you ran through those priorities. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, on that front, um, we only have one seller, which is our CEO. So like our okay. main CTA is just like a Calendly link to his calendar. And then, so like, if you book a demo, you can just book a call with him straight away. And then he jumps on a call and like walks you through everything. Um, other than that, like I created a profile on G2, I hired like this SEO agency to get like two blog posts per month going just so we can show up for the little demand that, that that's already there, like on search results. And, um, yeah, that's, uh, we have a pretty good, like MQL criteria system as well. Like, um, we manually approve like each workspace before it's created just to make sure that like it's someone actually within our like target audience and ICP. And then we also help every single person like on board, set up their entire workspace and stuff. And like the founder, like will literally go out to their office and like sit down with them and like help them set up the product and all of that. So yeah, I just wanted to know, like, before I get to like the LinkedIn ad stage, like, is there like certain data I need to be collecting and just like, what are the processes I need to be setting up to where when I get to that stage, I'm not like, it's like, oh crap, I could have done this before. And now, you know, I'm like scrambling or something. Can I ask a qualifying question here real quick? You yeah, guys, sure. uh, are you guys investor backed? Are you bootstrapped? Uh, what, yeah, we're, we're investor backed and we're like pretty small right now. We're, we're nowhere near being able to afford you guys. Uh, but hopefully the down the line that's that's yeah i'd love to yeah i'd love to do that that'd be super cool the reason that i ask is that when when you are investor backed even yeah. if it's just an angel investor or two and if even if it's relatively not that much money um there's pressure behind that that mm -hmm. uh can sometimes wear down your ability to have patience for a long game um yeah. so something that is good to start doing now if if it hasn't already begun is to have conversations with your investors about how you are playing the long game because you have to have patience mm. when you're creating demand yeah. the the yeah. demand creation tactics that that we would guide you through are not the things that are going to fill the pipeline next month 
It, it's the stuff yes. that's going to be helping you to scale your business well, like next year. Um, so you, you've got to be doing the short-term activities to, uh, to start filling up your pipeline. And, and those may be things that are completely unstable, like later on, but you've got yeah. to do those things right now to start yeah. generating wins, uh, get your investor excited, um, but start having those conversations about the patience of the activities that you're going to be doing to create demand. Yeah. No, that's like a really, really good point. You're totally right. I mean, I had that conversation with my CEO and got him like totally on board, but I didn't consider convincing him to convince the investors or if he's even like spoken to the investors about this. So that's, that's really helpful. I appreciate that. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I'll add also is um, be mindful of like introducing new programs before you've really got a process behind a program that you're currently doing. You all sell mm -hmm. the AEs, basically, you know, people in sales. Um, so I would also be really mindful of the, you know, the level of content that you have to have, you know, salespeople yeah. see a lot of content. Um, yeah. they, they, they tend to, they tend to act well to certain kinds and, and, and not, not so much to others. So, you know, you gotta be with its sales, you gotta be entertaining on top of being educational. We got yeah. a guy like Todd here who knows how to do that pretty well. Um, yeah. which who, who I know, you know, but yeah, be, be rigorous on the, on the standard of content that you all are creating and distributing as well. I think that's another thing mm -hmm. to be mindful of because the bar's high with that ICP. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I appreciate that. Thank you, Matthew. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you so much for the question. Everybody, thank you for your questions for today. Uh, we are at time. Uh, so we're going to wrap up this session today for this live AMA. Um, really appreciate all of you joining us uh, that logged in here to be a part of the discussion. Um, keep sending your questions, email them, uh, post them on LinkedIn, uh, post them on YouTube if you're watching there. Uh, we'll be watching for them and, uh, and we'll get back to you on them. So thank you so much. This was fun.